Father, we still our hearts before you. We come here Monday morning. Many of us come with lots going on. Lots in our heads, lots in our hearts. Lots of situations that we cannot control. Pressures, worries, anxieties, doubts. We come with all that. Might you receive it as an offering before you. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, be present among us now. What would you like to do today? What might you have for us today? We'll do our best to receive. Jesus' words. I want to read it almost as a prayer. I'm staying in this posture of stillness before God. So receive these words. Receive them for you today. Receive them as if you've never heard them. I'm looking for Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's go one more time. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. God, there's many here today carrying heavy burdens and they don't know what to do. Do you really have rest? Open those doors. Open those doors. Come back to the verse. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus, be our teacher, not just this morning, this month, this year. Teach us how to live. Teach us how to live. For I am gentle and humble of heart you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Fill us the light burden. Please. working with verses we could spend a good hour on that verse just praying through it just 
a couple comments on that verse. For those of you who don't know, uh, I, I didn't know I had to look it up, what a yoke was. So I assume you all know, but maybe there's a couple of you that don't. It has nothing to do with an egg, apparently. It's a, a reference to a farming apparatus, uh, a, a, a wooden structure with two humps. And apparently the idea is if you're going to plow a field, do the work, you take two ox and you place the hump around each of their necks. They're connected, they're tied together. And apparently what you do is you take an ox that's seasoned, that knows the way, knows how to plow the field, and you pair it, you connect it, you chain it, enslave it to a younger ox, one that doesn't really know the way. And they begin to plow the field, and as they do, the seasoned ox kind of pulls and gently guides. And eventually, given enough miles, the younger ox learns how to plow the field, how to live life. And here Jesus comes and says, yoke yourself to me, chain yourself to me. I'll show you how to live. It's an easy, light burden. I'm gentle and humble of heart. That is an invitation for you and for me. That is an invitation into life with God. Transformation. Spiritual formation. Now I operate from the assumption that Jesus was the smartest being to ever inhabit human skin. I don't think we give Jesus enough credit for being smart. Understanding human beings. Now I may be going a little far with this, but at least in my mind, here's where I take this. I operate under the assumption that Jesus knows humans, knows what we're apt to do. Knows that we're apt to be chained, enslaved, yoked to something. That not being yoked is not an option. Not sure if I got that statement right, but you get the idea. So what are you enslaved to? What are you yoked to? That might be the question for us to begin to work with. There's all sorts of different things we can chain ourselves to. I mean, you've got the obvious ones, the kind of gritty, destructive ones, or that are destructive more on the surface than others. Drugs, alcohol, sex. But we can go a little bit further, a little deeper, begin to look at our hearts and see what are the things that we enslave ourselves to. Is it perfectionism? Is it approval? Maybe it's achievement. Maybe it's people pleasing. These are cruel masters. Maybe it's our self-centeredness, striving to have our own way. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's release. Maybe it's hiding. Maybe it's your computer or phone, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents. I don't know what you've chosen to enslave yourselves to. I have my favorites. And here Jesus comes and says, 
Chain yourself to me. It's an easy yoke, a light burden. I'll show you the way. I'll show you how to live. Rest for your soul. This is a message the world is literally dying to hear. A different way to live life. And so I might ask you this morning, does your friendship with Jesus, your life of devotion, your spiritual practices, your life lived with God, does it look like that verse? Notice in that verse we don't hear anything about willpower, about grit, about trying harder or enthusiasm. Not that these things are bad, but they can often be very destructive in the spiritual life. What we hear in that verse is an invitation to let go. An invitation to trust. An invitation to train. And ultimately, I'd say, to fall in love. What does your spiritual life look like? Justin mentioned the book that I wrote, Making of an Ordinary Saint, a journey from frustration to joy with the spiritual disciplines. You might think a little bit like spiritual disciplines as training exercises, journeys that we get to go on with God. The basic concept is really quite simple. If we want to learn to live our life like Jesus, then it makes sense to do the practices that Jesus did. And so different spiritual disciplines, for the most part, are born out of the life of Jesus. Practices that Christians have been working on all through the ages. There's no exhaustive list. You probably already practice a number of them. There's probably a number of them that you have not explored. It's things like prayer and meditation, fasting, service, submission, confession, guidance, simplicity, celebration, silence and solitude. All these different invitations to yoke ourselves to Jesus, plow the field of life and learn. This is not a list of 12 more things. This is not a spiritual to-do list. There's not 12 more things for you to fail at. These are invitations into a deeper life with God. I might use the training metaphor. You find it in Paul's words to Timothy, exercise yourself unto godliness. In this verse, he was referencing the Greek gymnasium of training. I like to think about musicians and training. Did you notice Jonathan and Hannah this morning? Did you notice what they did? Did you notice how Hannah was breathing through her diaphragm? What we're looking at is training. We're looking at years of focused training. So much that she's not only able to sing, but to help lead you into worship and worship herself effortlessly. Did you see Jonathan playing the guitar, moving his hand in these very contorted positions? Training. They spent years doing that. And while you were out having fun, dropping your water bottles, 
<laughs> Jonathan was holed up in his room practicing hour after hour after hour, so much so that he can stand up here today with effortlessness and fun. What? It's training. And we train in the spiritual life. And so these spiritual exercises, they just begin to help us to form within us something different. And the end result is not the disciplines. The end result is life with God. And I'll go back to the guitar metaphor. The end result is not to play chords. The end result is music. It's something beautiful, something that echoes of heaven. In our journey with spiritual practices, these are invitations to life with God, leading to joy, leading to goodness, leading to learn to respond to life naturally in good ways. The fruit of the Spirit, that's the habit we're after, a singular thing. It's not multiple things. It's this life that naturally responds to circumstances with love, joy, peace, and patience, goodness, generosity, gentleness, long-suffering. You know these. You can't force fruit to grow, but we can place ourselves in a position to where God can begin to work on us, begin to work in our hearts and our minds, begin to shape us and mold us. This is the process of transformation. It's a lifelong work possibly extending on into eternity, we get to become someone different. Life with God. Learning to live our life with God. Our eating, sleeping, going to bed, arguing with our roommates and studying for tests. Life with God. Laying our lives as a living sacrifice giving the only two things we really have much control over, the only two things, the most valuable things we potentially have to give, our time and our attention. And we give that before God. And we start small. Don't be heroic with all this. Start where you're at. If you haven't cultivated a life of prayer, start with two minutes. Go take a walk. Listen. See what you find is not 40 days to a better spiritual life it's more like 40 years take your time so i want to go back just a moment what are the fruits of your spiritual life what does it lead you to does it lead you to greater love of neighbor love of god love of self as a creature created in god's image or does it lead you to guilt and shame, rigidity, judgment, legalism? These are all possibilities. You remember the Pharisees, they practiced disciplines with great rigor. It made them worse. I don't know what the translation for brood of vipers might be. It sounds quite graphic to me. Why? Why can someone practice spiritual disciplines and grow into abundance of love and goodness, movement into becoming someone quite different in the best possible way? And why for some, 
can it make them worse? Legalistic, judgmental. You know, when religion goes bad, it's one of the worst things in our society. It does so much harm to people. And here Jesus gives us an invitation to something quite different. Now, I don't know why this happens particularly, but I have some ideas. And I think it often stems from our narratives about God. So I would be remiss if I didn't just mention that a little bit. Just touch on that. Some of you have got this down quite well. Some of you, this is not an issue. That's okay. For others of you, it's a significant issue. What you think about God, your view of God, affects everything in your spiritual life. It's the lens in which we look through. And if you have a distorted view of God, a negative view, a view born out of lies, it will affect everything else. So the Pharisees, what you see in the corners is this God that they have to uh, earn affection and love from. If I do all the right things, if I impress my neighbors, if I get all the checklists down, and here comes Jesus looking at issues of the heart. I don't know what your narratives are. We all got some. We usually pick them up in our families. For some people, they view God as a sort of cosmic Santa, keeping the list. If I do all the right things, pull the holy levers, God will bless me, give me what I want. Giving us what, I, what we want is not necessarily going to be in our own good, not necessarily helpful. Some people view God as a judge, waiting, keeping the list, waiting to strike us down, the hammer. Maybe one of the worst narratives of all is when we hold a narrative of God as a cold and distant parent, detached, removed. They say in the world of abuse for children, some of the worst abuse a child can endure is that of being ignored, detached, removed. Maybe your God is a sort of, oh, I came up with this one this morning just for you. I'm going to read it. Adrenaline crazed, coked up stockbroker. How's that sound? <laughs> You know what I mean. It's that go, go, go God, the achieve God, the feel good, chase one high after another, adrenaline craze, coked up stockbroker. That sounds like the good, a good chapter for a book. Doesn't look anything like Jesus. Sometimes working through these narratives can take a long time. And to be quite honest with you, I'm not very interested in um, I'm, I'm really just interested in truth. And so, in short, I want to tell you that God loves you. But I'm afraid you won't hear that because it's a cliche. You spray paint it under overpasses, stamp it on pencils. We've heard it so much we can no longer hear it. So let me try it a different way if I might. God likes you. God smiles when you come around. God's not mad 
God is inviting you into the deepest intimacy you could ever know as a human being. God is relentlessly chasing us down, waiting, waiting by the fence. Can I go a little further? God is proud of you. Whoa, wait a minute. A friend of mine said that to me a number of years ago. I don't know what to do with that one because I'm not very proud of myself. I sat with it through the years, thinking about it, praying about it. It was a wonderful prayer. God, are you proud of me? Go do that for the next three months. See what you find. See how it transforms you into something helpful, some goodness. I've come to believe it to be quite true. And let me tell you how I reached that conclusion. Those of you who are artists who create things, whether that's a painting or sculpture, crafting with your hands, writing poetry, music. I don't know what your art is. We're all little creators. We're more made in the image of a creator. You know when you create a piece that you're really moved by, you've poured a little piece of yourself into it, and you look at it and smile, move with a sense of pride. And here we are, God's crown of his creation, jewel of God's creation, made in God's image. Yeah, I think God's proud of us. I think God's proud of us, even when we're not proud of ourselves. Think of it with my kids. When they were little and I'd go in and watch them sleep, it's that moment when they're not being annoying and they're quiet. And I look at them with just sheer delight. I'm proud of them because they're mine. I get to be their dad. I get to be in their life. Do they screw up? Yeah, of course they do. But I'm proud of them. Narrative I'm after is the God that Jesus revealed You hear this in the Lord's Prayer, this scandalous line, our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. That heaven, it's three heavens are referencing you. You could think of it as our Father who's all around us. That word Father, quite scandalous. That word Abba, that word that little Jewish children would use when their father would come home from work. That word they would use when they ran with reckless abandonment and jumped. Now my kids would do this and terrify me because they have no backup plan. (laughs) If I don't catch them. And there's the picture for us in our life with God. We're loved, we're accepted, we're known. And we're invited into something deeper. Spiritual practices are best worked as an active response to God's love. I'm loved. I'm cared for. I get to respond. I get to move into something deeper. One of the things I've noticed through the years is that guilt and um, shame is a horrible motivator. Horrible. It doesn't last. Love, grace, oh, this is quite practical. Makes sense. 
helpful in our life. And so this is where we start. Active response to God. And then these spiritual practices, they're no longer these burdens, these things that I have to do. Although that doesn't mean we don't suffer. We can suffer considerably. That's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing at all. All right. I'm going to pause there. And tomorrow we'll pick up. I want to work a little with the, the two practices you're doing this week, service and prayer. See what we find. But before you go, let me pray for you just a moment. Abba, would you begin to tickle our imagination? Get in there deep. Would you give us a vision for who we can become? Who you would like to see us become? Give us a deep desire. Give us resources. Show us the doorway. Move us into a true narrative about you. And may we respond well. In Jesus' name.